today. We've got several things that we're, I've promised a shorter sermon sandwiched between a couple of very important things. Obviously, communion, I'll touch on that in just a moment of time. But I want to uh, ask you as a church family to join me by opening your hearts here today. There's a few in our church family today that don't often have the opportunity to come in the sanctuary with us. And they're here today, and I'd like to recognize three of them, if they would, if I can. I'm going to first recognize and ask Miss Ruth Honey Grubbs if she would grasp her mom and dad and come. And they're going to stay down here today for just a moment, or at least for now. And uh, we've lost Aaron. Where's he at? I'd like for Aaron to join us here somewhere. Where did he go? Did he leave? All right. It's a typical Aaron moment, isn't it, Chelsea? It's just a typical Aaron moment. That's right. So we'll find him. And then um, Mr. Ethan Ryle Holmes, if he would join us here with his lovely family. That's our little fellow that's usually got spiked hair here today. There he is. Hey, hey, Ron. Yay. Way to make an entrance here, Aaron. You know, that's all right. Pastor Brown's not playing today. I've got to go right here with these children. And then lastly, if Mr. Lucas Paul Watson would grasp his family and bring them with him to the front today. And some of them may, they may have brought their other boys in here. I'm not for sure. It's all up to the parents. As a pastor, there's things that you, you reluctantly do. And then there are things that you wholeheartedly just feel privileged to do. And uh, this is one of those moments for me. Amen? So I'm going to ask each one of this, these couples, if they would, to take a giant step forward and then do what we do in the military called an about face. An about face. I want to, first of all, thank you. I consider it an honor that you would trust me to say a word of encouragement to you about this great privilege that you have of being a parent. There's nothing that moves my heart more than the responsibility that God committed to us as fathers and mothers than to raise our children. I, have, uh, I promised Jace I wouldn't be too long today with my sermons here. And, uh, but Jace, I, I've had this thought I wanted to share with each of you. It seems I've never used it in the context of a baby dedication. It's Romans eleven seventeen. It's a verse I quote often, and it speaks about being grafted into the olive tree and then drawing from the root and the fatness of the tree. And what it's saying to those that are Gentile believers, we didn't have the heritage of faith of Abraham, but once we found faith in Christ, we were grafted in. And we draw from the root and the fatness of the tree. That's what you're doing today. You're doing this because we saw the Hebrew people dedicate their children to the Lord. That's all you're doing it. You've chosen to do so. It's not a, this is not a ceremony. This is a commitment of heart from the parents that they recognize that their child is a gift from God. And also God, when he gave the gift, he gave responsibility 
And so today, I'm going to drop a couple of verses here that's familiar to us, but I want to let these be in your heart here if I can for just a moment of time. Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Doesn't that, doesn't that hit you? It's his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, each of you are holding those children there today. That's an arrow. That's an arrow that you can aim high and shoot far. And they can do great things for God. Happy is the man. That word happy there means blessed is the man that hath his quiver full of them. Now, I don't know how big a quiver y'all have. <laughs> I think some of y'all are wrapping up and, and may not have as many arrows in the quiver as Pastor Brown did. But you, you've got a full quiver and God has blessed you. It says that your children will not be ashamed when they're going to speak with the enemies in the gate. I'll tell you what the children were for me. They were a tool. They were a tool that I could use, not just against the enemy, the adversary, but against the enemy of my own flesh. Because I wanted to guard my life so much that I could live a life that was pleasing to God and also impactful to my children. This psalm here, it seems like, well, it ends, that's the fifth verse, but I, I can't read the, this Psalm 127 without tossing in the six verses of Psalm 128, and that's what I want to drop in their heart today, where I drop a few words over them, and we're going to join their, our faith with theirs. But Psalm 128 says, Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. Remember, you're drawn from the root and the fatness of the tree. That's the way you have to do it. You have to go back and forth, back and forth, because it's just right there. <laughs> For, it says, uh, listen, blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord. That's you. That walk in his ways. You shall eat the labor of your hands, and happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with you. Your wives shall be a fruitful vine by the side of your house, and your children are like olive plants round about your table. You will be the man that is blessed that fears the Lord, and the Lord will bless you out of Zion. And listen to this. You will see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Thou shall see thy children's children and peace upon Israel. I think just a couple of thoughts. First of all, you recognize that you're walking in the blessing of God by him having given you these beautiful children. But what you're doing here today is more than just a ceremony that we're doing in front of the church. You're making a commitment. Each one of you, from Trey all the way to Aaron, all the way across as the parents, are making a commitment to love, to raise, to keep, to protect and to bless. We live in a generation when it says it takes a village to raise children, and that's really not true. There are some times you need some helpful hands occasionally. I agree, I agree, especially grandparents. Come on, everybody. That's a special group of men and women right there. And, <laughs> and you do, but I'm telling you, it's not the village or the community's job to raise your children. God didn't give them to the community. He gave them to you. And you've got to hedge them in, and you hedge them in with love and grace, and you hedge them in with discipline, and you hedge them in with you. Here's the, mo the most important thing that you can do for the life of your child is that you walk in obedience to the Word of God. That's the most important thing that you can do. Israel was instructed to keep the law, listen to this, that it might go well for them and their children. I want you to think about that for just a moment. He said, I want you to keep the law so that it'll go well. I believe generational curses can be broken. Patterns of destructive behavior can just be covered by the blood. Come on, somebody. 
and you can raise up an entire generation that doesn't know some of the trauma that other families tragically have known. But it's up to you. You have to determine to do it. You have to be obedient to the Word of God. So here today, you dedicate your children by dedicating your life to live a life of faith that's pleasing to God. And I know that you have and I know that you will. I've gotten the privilege opportunity to observe the parenting skills of at least some of these more closely. And don't think I ain't watching. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, and I commend them. I commend them for what they do. The scripture says a, a, a child left to himself is ashamed to his father and his mother. <laughs> you better keep all eyes open. Keep your head on a swivel in the generation in which we live. Amen? Right? Because it's God's responsibility that he's committed to you. And the last thing I'm just going to walk away with, Psalm 127 spoke about the children are the reward of your faith. But then if you layer that with Psalm 128, you keep the law. That's the keep the word of God. You obey the word of God. That's the greatest gift that you'll give those children. Because you will hedge them in a family of love and blessing and grace. You'll learn what to say, what not to say. You'll learn to discipline how far to discipline. You'll grow as your children grow. Amen. I'm going to ask the church family to do something with me. That is, if you don't care to stand up with us just for a brief moment of time, we're going to anoint these children with oil here today. The moms and dads are going to be joining their faith with mine right here today. It's an act of dedication. It's an act of commitment, isn't it? So we bless today, God. We bless little Ruth Honey, God, today. She said, get off me, Pastor Brown. She was pushing my hand away. Y'all couldn't see that. She's like, what in the world is that? You know what? I'm going to go beyond. I'm going, to the fa I'm going to the parents today. That's where my heart is today. I just anoint each one. Ethan's like, man, I usually get some other stuff on my forehead right there today. I'm going to touch y'all just real quickly today, God, because it's a family. It's a family of faith. Isn't that right? Little Luke is there today, God, in Jesus' name, and Trey and Nadia today, in Jesus' name. Church family, I want to ask you, the parents are laying hands on their children. The parents are making a dedication. Will you join your faith? with mine, and let's join our faith with theirs. I stand today with Aaron and Chelsea, God, today, as their pastor today. I stand today, God, with Jason Caden today, God, and I stand with Trey and Nadia. Father, I stand with their faith. I join my faith today, God. Sister Sherry, in our years of raising our children, we just weave our faith to theirs today, God. Father, to strengthen them, Father, that they'll be the parents that you've called them to be. They'll live a life that's pleasing to, the, to you, God. Father, that every day they will get up, God, with this great sense of both reward and responsibility. Father, of loving obligation and divine privilege, God. Father, that they will love the beautiful sound of laughter and yelling and toys broken, God, and sometimes squabbles that you have to stand in between, God. They will, they will see all of that as the reward of the Lord. And they will see the, the tenderness of the heart of these children as parchment, that their life and their words can write, Father God, the law of God, the word of God on the tablet of these children, God. Father, and we're going to believe that you're going to keep these children. We're going to believe that you're going to protect these children. Come on, somebody. We're going to believe, and we're going to do it early, but we plead the blood over these children right now, God, in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you'll keep them, Father, from the evils of this age. I remember what Jesus said. He said, I pray that you don't take them out of the world, Father, but that you keep them. Father, from the evil, God, and that's our prayer today. And so, Father, I bless. We dedicate. We dedicate today, Father, little Ruth, and we dedicate Ethan, and we dedicate little Lucas unto you, God, 
and their families to bring them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. May the blessing of God run them down, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's children said, Amen and Amen. Won't you put your hands together and give the Lord a hand clap. And then I'm going to let you be seated before I have you get up. i got to share one thing with you real quick. I feel Jesus in this house. It's a privilege. Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. For of such is what? The kingdom of heaven. I am so grateful that you're in service with us today. I have a couple of announcements. And so today there is a little bit of, we always want to flow in service, but sometimes you just have to break it up. And I've got a couple things I want to touch base with you very quickly before we receive Sunday morning's tithes and offerings. First of all, if you're a visitor, we're honored to have you in service with us. And there should be a card in the seat in front of you. Take a moment to fill it out, and there should be a handsome couple standing at the table in the foyer when you leave service today, and they would answer any question. They would also receive that card from you. Um, this Wednesday is, is the last Wednesday of the month, and it's what we call Big Wednesday. We have been adding a meal during the summer that the church has been providing hamburgers and hot dogs. Woohoo! 100% all beef. Okay, thank you. And... <laughs> Provided by your local farmers. Never mind. We'll move on. Um, sides. But this time, typically, it's just very simple. But I saw how successful the young and hard. That's my people. It's not, you're, you're the youth pastor. Those are my people. My group. And um, uh, the young and hard youth pastor. And, <laughs> and um, I saw how successful when they brought sides and desserts in uh, for theirs. And uh, it, so we're going to let people. There's a sign-up sheet in the foyer to bring sides and desserts. The church will still provide hamburgers and hot dogs, and uh, we'll be the meal will start at 5:30, and we'll run to about 6:15. Then we can get all cleaned up real quickly because at 6:30 we're going to be retained in the family life center. The adults, JoJo's going to take the youth. Obviously, the kids are going to travel back to the uh, the north end and be checked in. JoJo will take the youth into some of the classrooms. He's working with us here for this week because it is an informational meeting towards business meeting that's been called for September the 10th. This is your time this Wednesday to ask any questions and if you have not, as a member of this church picked up that paper that I've been telling you about it's in the office. Some of you said we, well, we ran out. We didn't run out. They were there. We just didn't know that they were there. And so there's an additional stack. Make sure you get with Jace or Jojo or Sister Sherry and she, that any of those can get that for you to make sure that you have this so that on the 10th I have to announce it two weeks in advance so September the 10th at 1.30, following an a.m. service, we're going to have this very specially called business meeting. And lastly, Shane, are y'all breaking down the stage after service, immediately after service? Immediately after service, after communion, and so we are having communion as a part of the end. We are going to be bringing your children in to participate in communion with you at the end. I'll explain more about that. You'll know more about why we're doing it here in a few moments. But 
we're going to break the, the they're going to break the stage down. But some of the guys, if you wouldn't care, Jason and I help give you some instruction. They're painting. They're starting to paint the sanctuary tomorrow morning at 0830. So if you can help us adjust by moving some table or chairs, it should take us about 10 minutes. And then we'll. And so what that means is, is when the paint uh, finishes, then hopefully within a week or two, the carpet layers are going to come in here and be replaced in this carpet. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, somebody. So with that said, let me throw this out at you. There's signs on the foyer. This is not Burger King. You cannot have it your way when you come to First Assembly. So we are not the latte church that says no food or drinks in the sanctuary. And I haven't been pushing that because the carpet was too far gone. But if you commence with that latte after that new carpet, we will run you down. Like you are a seventh grader in Wilburn getting initiated. You will be running for your life. Some of y'all from small schools knows what I'm talking about. Some of you others have no idea. I ran like a deer for one year. And I ex I'm here to testify I escaped the Melvin or the wedgie that others succumbed to. Yes, I did. So with that said, I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek, but I am just saying other churches don't have sloped floor floors. You bring a coffee in here. And you put it on that slope floor, it's going to end up on that floor. So I know you said, Pastor, some of the real cool churches do that. Well, I'm sorry, we ain't it. So we ain't worried about being cool. We want to be anointed. And my, my thought is, is that I just think you ought to be able to walk away from coffee for an hour and a half to come to church and worship the Lord. That's just how I feel. And I just want you to know, but I am asking. I'm not saying it to be condescending. I'm trying to add slightly off-color humor to it. To, uh, to just tell you, let's, but let's be more mindful of it. Amen. Amen. And so that's going to be over the next several weeks. And um, just so just work with us. One of the reasons why we're not going to be, we're going to be back there on Wednesday night. We really don't want anybody coming in the sanctuary on Wednesday. We don't even want you peeking in. We want you to wait and see the, these bright orange colors that the sanctuary is going to be painting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. All right there. So I think I got, I think I got everything that I was supposed to say. So. Y'all help me in this. It's a big week for us. We want to get some of these things done. We haven't done any renovations in here in about, when did we do the last one, Brother Aaron? 2008? 11? 10? 10. So it's been 13 years. So it, it'll be good to, to do so. And we're excited to do it. Would y'all stand up with me today? And we're going to receive Sunday morning's tithes and offerings. And then we're going to do something that we do as our, at our church family that we feel, we feel, uh, 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 that it means something. It's a part of what we do. We do this very intentionally. We then go around and greet one another. Because we want our church family to feel the warmth of your hug or your handshake. Amen. And we want maybe a visitor. Maybe you'll see somebody you don't recognize that you'll take a moment of time to go up to them. We say, and it's been echoed by all the pastors that have stood on this stage or any that have exhorted, and that, that worship, that, that your giving is a part of your worship. And we believe that. You give from the heart. You don't give from the pocket, right? It, it all starts right here. And so I just want to say thank you so much for your faithfulness and giving. Let me just speak the word of faith over you today. God gives seed to the sower. He gives bread to the eater. And he multiplies your seed sown. So let's pray today. Father, we love you and we're grateful today, God, to be in this house and to have this privileged opportunity to be able to give. Thank you so very, very much, Father, for this privileged opportunity. Bless the people. 
God, you see our heart. Look on our heart today. May we give out of, a, uh, out of faith and love today, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all of God's children said amen and amen. And you can come forward and bring your offering because we like to. There's a basket. The basket has gotten, got, I had to move it. Where'd the basket disappear? It's right here. The basket is right here because of communion. I've got to put it right here and then go around and greet one another. If you give online, there it is how you can give. And if you go outside, there's a secure container in the foyer for you to be able to give. just a minute of time so I can get right to the word of the Lord. Let me say just a couple of other things. I, I just feel like it's appropriate to do so. We had a couple of babies born this week within the church family. Sister Chrissy Tubbs gave birth to her uh, child this week, and then they did have a little bout with jaundice after they had come home and had to go back to the hospital to, I think, children's overnight, but they're back home now, and baby is doing well, so praise the Lord for that. And then Sister Rita Frazier is a great grandma today, and uh, called Sister Paige, Stephen and Paige had their child uh, this past week, I think on Friday, Friday, that's right, so um, the, hey, you grow, you grow the church family any way you can. <laughs> no, <laughs> when Sherry and I walked into the doors of Maranatha Assembly of God in 1996, we were over one-fourth of the church with our seven. Alyssa, you hadn't made it yet. You were a Shirleyite. And so, because there were 19 people, and we brought seven. So, we grow the church any way you can. Um, just want to say a very special God bless you. Dr. Brassfield is here today, and I'm just going to echo his heart for just a moment. He really wants to say a very special God bless you to all of the church family especially the ladies that not only have been praying for Sister Kathy and her recovery from surgery, but the meals that you prepared, you went above and beyond and blessed them in tremendous ways. And he wants to, uh, me to echo again his heart and sentiments to you, and we say thank you so very much for your love and kindness. Sister Kathy continues to improve, and uh, she's almost, almost there where she'll be able to join Dr. Brassfield, and be back in service with us when she's here. Amen. So continue to remember her in prayer and for God's continued healing in her life. Amen. Listen, I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter number 10. And then we're going to read one verse of Scripture in another place. We do have Aaron and Chelsea in with us today. We don't get to have them in service with us as often as we would like or as we are aiming for. But we're, we're grateful that they're here. <laughs> And we, we love them being with the children so much. We're going to bring the children in to be back in here with you. <laughs> They're going to be with the parents when they come in. Chelsea's the one that's going to go get them. But you'll understand a little bit more. So let me just go ahead and, matter of fact, drop this in. You'll understand why as the sermon unfolds. But when they bring the children back in, there'll be a little moment 
where they're going to have to find their parents. We may ha you may have to scoot down a little bit to make room for your child uh, to come and sit with you. Because when we do communion, we're not going to bring you forward. We're going to let the, the deacons bring the communion to you. There's plenty of room to pass, so you'll be able to stay right there at that particular moment to share the communion. So uh, just be patient. The Bible says to wait on one another. Amen? So Romans chapter number 10, if you found it, say amen. Obviously, if you found it, it's on the screen in front of you. So stand up, if you would, one last time, please, for the honor of the Word of God, reading the Word of God that we have here by honoring God's Word. Romans 10 and 8 has been the key text that we've chosen each week. But what saith it? I love that. What saith it? Thy, the Word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the Word of faith which we preach. Isn't that powerful? It's the Word of faith which we preach. The Word of faith. So today we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians 10 and remember the strategic location, 1 Corinthians 10, because I think that will, there's a little bit of a, of a point of emphasis on the location of this verse here in a few minutes that I think will be important. So one verse, one verse. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Christ. And so I've had a word of faith for you each week that I felt the Lord directed my thoughts when I went in this vein of teaching to address faith, seek to learn what faith is, seek to how to grow in it, and yet at the same time, perhaps broaden our understanding of it. It's not just always attempting to believe to receive something from God, like a, if you're needing direction or you know, sometimes it's, it's obedience, it's just obeying. The word of faith is obedience, amen, at times. And so la last week I was with the blood, faith in his blood, and it just seemed to just, just settle among us so, so perfectly, it just didn't seem right to advance off of it so quickly. So today the word of faith is the blood. It's the blood. That's, that's our attention is on the blood today, Amen. It's on the blood. I felt Jesus from the time that we opened this service, and I'm going to pray he'll be glorified among us through the preaching of the word. Would you pray with me? Father, I love you, and I feel so humbled, so humbled to have an opportunity to minister the word. I pray today, God, my Father, as I confessed to our church family last week that I didn't feel adequately prepared in both heart and head, Today, I feel adequately prepared in both heart and head. But all will be awash if we don't have the sacred presence of the Spirit of the living God. If the anointing is not present, God, then I'll be a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. I'll be white noise in the background to minds that are already troubled about the day's activities. Unless you give me the word of faith. Come on, somebody. And today, Father, we're going to believe the word of faith is the blood. It's the blood, the blood of Jesus today. So I'm grateful today. I humble myself before you. I pray for the preaching of the word to be easy in this house on the hearts that are prepared beforehand. In Jesus' name, and all of God's children said amen and amen. I can't go back and retrace all my steps or I would make myself, um, I don't want to say a liar, that's probably too strong, but it's not, it's not my intention to preach as long as I have in the 
passed. I did shorten it last week, and that's when so many people came up to me and said, Pastor Brown, that was the best message. <laughs> I know what you're saying. I know. You can say other things, but I've been doing it too long. I know what you're saying. So very quickly, I, just, I do like to take you back briefly, briefly to where we've been because it's important that we understand where we came from so we know where we are. And in this journey about the word of faith and my attempt to address the unbelief that I was harboring in my heart, and I've made this statement multiple times, you can disguise unbelief as a lot of things to justify harboring it in your heart. It can hide as tradition. It can hide as misplaced theology, right? But at the end of the day, if you're not believing God, it's unbelief. Well, it's a weak amen, but that's all right. I'll move forward. So in this journey, as I commenced it, so often when we think of faith and the Pentecostal charismatic movement, even aligned with the word of faith, we think of covenant benefits such as physical healing or deliverance from um, addictions and things that are related to demonic powers. And then we often think even to, in today's culture of prosperity. And I, and, and I determined not to go that way. I may be there some, but I just think faith touches so much more than just those few areas. I just think that it does. And so we went back to the beginning, to the very first person that was ever commended for his faith, and that was Abraham. Now, there were others that were commended that lived previously, but not at the time. The scriptures didn't commend them at that time, but it was Abraham at the time that his events unfolded that he was commended for his faith. And, uh, and then, but with that, it was called the word of faith was back to the beginning. And from there, though, I didn't, I didn't camp on Abraham very long. And I went to Moses and the children of Israel. And that's been the basis. That's been who we've been looking at to help us understand and relate to faith. And this journey has been very rewarding for me personally because I've attempted to look at the faith of Moses and also the faith of the people of Israel. And at times, I've looked at it through both, both lenses, and I've applied both to my own heart and life. Um, I, I certainly then moved to patience. How many know faith and patience? You inherit the promises. And patience is not always uh, easy divine virtue in our heart and life to, to, to allow to take place because we are, uh, many times we succumb to the weakness of our flesh. I have done my very best to define for you that patience is not simply waiting, but it is trusting. It is immovable, steadfast in your faith. You're simply, you know, you can't see the change immediately. You are going to simply Leave it in the hands of God and trust that what he's promised he will perform. Amen? Patience. And then we went to conflict because we discovered ancient Israel. Moses, the, the day Moses arrived in Israel, or excuse me, in Egypt with the word of faith and said, Pharaoh, the God of our fathers has appeared to us and has commanded you that you would let his people go. Pharaoh's response was, I don't even know the God you're talking about. Much less, I'm not going to let the people go. And then from there, not only did he not let the people go, but he began to oppress the people even farther. And I was bringing you to the awareness that sometimes when you begin to move out in what you call stepping out in faith or begin to walk in faith, we're immediately met with conflict, persecution, affliction. The Bible says through Jesus' own words, arise for the word's sake. Hear that. Persecution and affliction come. So it's not that you're being disobedient. It may be that you're walking in the greatest season of obedience in your life when everything is coming against you. Conflict. And you have to be prepared. 
to embrace it. And then last week, we went to the word of faith, which was faith in his blood as we drew near to Passover. So again, what is faith? What is faith? It's one of the few things in Scripture that we have defined by an author. Hebrews 11 and 1 says that it is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things that have not seen. Something that's not seen with the physical eye, but is present. It is present in your faith. Right, You're hoping for it, longing for it, and you say, what is the evidence of that hope? But it's your faith that you possess. And so sometimes, though, that's just perhaps a definition. Sometimes you have to look at it in context. Romans 4 spoke about Abraham for just a moment, and it spoke that Abraham was strong in faith. Listen to the wording. He was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Strong in faith, giving glory to God. And he stumbled not in unbelief, but was strong in faith. He gave glory to God, and he believed that what God promised, he would perform. I mean, you know, that's faith. When you don't stumble in unbelief, but you believe that what God promises, he will perform. In Mark 11, Jesus taught us what faith is. He said concerning the mountain, and we're, this is a commonly um, taught doctrine in what we call the word of faith movement. But Jesus said, he said, if you believe in your heart and you speak to the mountain with your mouth, and he said, and you, you don't doubt the words that you say, then it shall come to pass as you say it. That's powerful. Well, what's beautiful about that that narrative there in Mark 11, it's almost the same as what we read in Romans 8, where the word of faith is near you, it's in your heart and in your mouth. And with the same means that you take of faith to believe God for salvation is how we believe God for any other thing in our life. Because in salvation, the Bible says that you hear the word, you believe the word, and you confess the word unto salvation. Romans chapter number 10. And so with it, if you just kind of take that and just kind of just muse on it and meditate on it, it'll be a, a, it, it, will, it will stimulate faith in your heart and life as you grow and you begin to, again, I really believe you have to be transparent with God. And you have to be honest with God. And when you have unbelief in your heart, then you have to identify it. You have to confess it to God. You have to pull it up like an unwanted plant in your garden. Right? You have to go out there, literally, if you have to dig that thing out, you're going to pull that thing out because you don't want unbelief. Because unbelief can spread like the horse nettle in my pasture. And so with this, I want to go back to where I ended last week, and I want to just remind you of something. The children of Israel, and we're, we're going to be in the 12th chapter, but I'm not going to have you read the entirety of it. It's a rather long chapter, and, and I, even some of the things that I'm going to allude to. So the children of Israel held an Egyptian bondage. And they have sat back and watched, and they have watched God's judgment upon the Egyptian gods, number one, and the Egyptian people, number two. And God has hardened the heart of Pharaoh because he has a divine purpose that he wants Israel not to just leave. He wants them to be thrust out. Moses was thrust away, and so now the children of Israel are going to be thrust out into the wilderness. And as I began to to unfold this for you, I I drew attention to, even last week, how that the children of Israel had observed the divine judgments of God, and it had seemed, if you read the narrative very closely, that when the judgment of God would come into the land of Egypt, it was as if there many times there was an invisible barrier that separated the land of Egypt from the land of Goshen, 
which was a part of the land of Egypt, but the writer would often distinguish it from the land of Egypt by using that, 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 that phrase, the land of Goshen, identify. It is in Egypt, but it was where the children of Israel dwelt. And it was the point that I was making was that these judgments often seem like, like a, a cloud would draw near and then like an invisible barrier. It wouldn't go into the land of Goshen. But Moses heard a word of faith from God to warn the people that this 10th plague, this 10th moment of judgment would be not like the other nine because this one would go into the land of Goshen. It would cover every house. There would not be a house from the pauper to the prince in Pharaoh's court that would not have the death angel pass over his house. And so he gets in strict instruction, something so unique up until this time, the children of Israel didn't have anything to do with these judgments other than to sit back and watch God do his thing. But now, Moses, in the verses 1 through 14 of the 12th chapter of the book of Exodus, gets, he receives and then he gives, he receives and he gives very strict instruction about what you and I call the Passover, which is where I, what I ministered on last week, and I'm just going to bring it back up to you for just a few moments today before we transition with it. He said that this day is going to be so important from this day forward, it's going to be the beginning of months. I just want you to think about that. Here we are today. What's today's date? Say it again. The 27th of August. And so it was a day, this day was so, so important to the children of Israel that God said, I'm going to stop right here on a day like today and you're going to change your whole calendar because of the importance of this day. I want you to think about that and how the impact uh, that could have in the life. And I, I think you'll see something of a parallel in just a few moments. It was the 10th day of the month that a lamb was chosen. Moses is receiving instruction. And what's unique about this instruction in Exodus 12, he's receiving instruction for the people to commence the Passover, the, to, to gather the lamb for, to, to protect them in the immediate future. But he's also receiving instruction about the memorial feast that is to take place annually amongst the children of Israel once they are delivered from Egypt and once they arrive in the promised land. So these instructions are kind of overlapped just a little bit. They are to choose a lamb on the 10th day of the month. They are to observe it or examine it for four days to make sure that it is without blemish. Examine it very closely for four days. They are to kill it at evening time. And once they kill the animal, they are to bring the animal into the house where it is to be roasted in the fire. But as they kill the animal, as the head of the household, they are to then, there was no priesthood in that original Passover. And so the, the, the head of the household would kill the animal. He would then go, uh, he then went out with hyssop, a uh, plant that had been uh, woven together almost like a paintbrush. And he would go and stand outside the door of his home. And it's the top post and the two side posts that he would strike it. King James says he would strike it with the blood. And then they were to eat the lamb. Once the evening came, they were to eat the lamb that had been roasted in fire with bitter herbs. And not only with bitter herbs, but with unleavened bread. They were to put away all leaven, and so it also set the stage for the later memorial feast when leaven would be put away for seven days, an entire seven-day week where leaven, they would literally search their entire houses so that there was no leaven in the house during the feast of what's known as the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which commenced there with Passover. We're not getting into all of that today. And so, again, they were to then eat this meal and in haste. And if there was anything left over, they were to burn it in the fire. 
And if their house was too small, this is so strict. I just want you to see that it was a very strict instruction. How many believe God still gives us very strict instruction? And to walk in faith is to walk in obedience to the revealed word of God. And so with this, so the leaven was put away. They were to eat it in haste. Their loins were to be girded. Their shoes were to be on their feet. And their staff was in their hand. And they were to stay in their house till the morning. Because the people had previously witnessed firsthand God's judgment that had judged the land of Egypt while they were landing in the land, living in the land of Goshen. But on this night now, as they were huddled in their homes, trusting God in the word of God and in the atoning blood of the sacrificial lamb that had been slain on their behalf, a substitutionary lamb, his life for theirs, that blood was applied to the doorpost on that fateful night. You know the story. If you didn't, you need to go back and read it. It, on that fateful night, the death angel or the destroyer passed through the land, the entirety of the land of Egypt, over every home. But the Bible plainly says that when he would see the blood, when he would see the blood, he would pass over their home. Come on, somebody. And with this, it was such a delivering act that the people of Israel were delivered from Egyptian bondage. Now, the events of that night would be forever memorialized with what's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of Passover. I want you to see something, though, in this 12th chapter. There's, and this is, remember, the instruction was not just for that night, but it was instruction for the days ahead. When they got into the land of, of uh, promise and they dwelt in houses they didn't build, and they had vineyards that they didn't plant, and wells they didn't dig. God had given them strict instruction concerning the Passover. And here, I want you to catch something. It's going to go on the screen. i got to find it in my Bible. In Exodus chapter number 12, it's about four verses that I want you to see. It's in my heart today, and this is where I'm at. Verse 24. So again, remember, this is before the events have taken place. Moses is still giving the people instruction. You shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. And it shall come to pass that when you are come into the land, which the Lord will give you, according as he hath promised, that you shall keep this service. And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service? That you will say, It is the sacrifice of of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians and he delivered our houses. And the people bowed the head and worshiped. And look at that 28th verse. I think I gave them the, I may have not have, no, I didn't. I don't think so. I'm going to read it. The children of Israel went away and did as the Lord had commanded. God had given a very specific instruction. Don't forget this. This is so altering in your life. Subsequent generations have to be told about that faithful night. Did you know the Jewish people still to this very day do exactly as it's written here in Scripture? They've acted a few additional traditions along the way since then, but from that day until now, once a year, families will be gathered and the Jewish leader of the household will respond to a question that's been posed to him by one of his children. What means, 
what meaneth this service. And he will then go back to Exodus and reiterate all the events that I've been preaching to you over the last few weeks. So the people went away and did as the Lord had commanded. Now the children of Israel often stumbled in unbelief, but on this night they believed. How many of you know that's what faith is? It's believing and obeying the word of the Lord. It's believing and obeying the word of the Lord. And so that night as the Egyptians slept, the destroyer, the destroyer executed judgment and he came through the entire land of Egypt and he took the breath of the firstborn of all the Egyptians. But as we have been celebrating, as we look at, but when he came to the houses of the Hebrews who were all fully awake, everybody was still awake, grandma's awake, even though she was probably nodding in the corner just a little bit. She's got her shoes on her feet, their staff in their hand. They are ready to go. They've not only eaten it in haste, but they've eaten it in faith. And they're trusting in the Word of God, and they're trusting in that atoning blood that it's going to be a token to the destroyer that when he sees the blood, he's going to pass over their houses. And as that story began to unfold, Again, they waited not for destruction, the children of Israel. They waited for deliverance. And when Egypt arose in the night, and there was a great cry that began to be heard throughout the land, Pharaoh and every household in all the land of Egypt rose up and discovered that the firstborn child, the firstborn, had lost their life. They thrust Israel away. And as the Hebrews began to walk through the early morning torch-lit streets of Egypt, did you know what happened? The Egyptians then began to come out of their houses and they wanted to be rid of the Hebrews as they saw them as, as a tool for the judgment of their God, Yahweh, upon their gods, that they began to bring clothing, changes of raiment, and silver and gold and cast it upon the people of Israel until the writer is so moved that he said, not only were we delivered, but we spoiled our enemy. Spoiled the enemy. And in the 42nd verse says this about that night. And this just speaks to my heart. He said, it is a night to be much observed unto the Lord. For bringing them out from the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord to be observed of all the children of Israel in their generations and other places it says forever. It, you know what it was? It was a night of faith. It was a night when the word of faith was heard and was obeyed. It was a faithful obedience to the word of God. Leaven was removed from the houses. It was a revelation of the blood. It was a night of divine judgment. It was a night of sacrificial substitution. It was a night of a word that we still echo in our hearts today that God himself said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. It was a night of destruction for some, but it was a night of deliverance for others. Hallelujah. It was a night when the people that had been in bondage for 430 years and had known nothing but pain and sorrow and misery and shackled in chains. But in one fateful moment, the hand of God brought judgment against their enemies until the enemy thrust them out. It's a night to be remembered. Now, tuck that away. Let me tell you a little bit about why it's been recorded so richly and so vividly for us. Two verses, Romans 15 and 4, which I've been reading for you several times along this journey. As Christians here today, why are we reading this narrative of Moses and the children of Israel? For whatsoever things were written aforetime, it was written for your learning. I mean, learning's a part of it. That we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Man, that's powerful, isn't it? So we read it. 
with an understanding that God very purposely moved Moses, who writes the book of Exodus, or it's our belief that he writes the book of Exodus, that Moses records the events that led up to that night, the events of that night, and the days immediately following, so that every generation where people have authentic faith in Yahweh God, now through Christ, we will read it looking back and say, you know what? God was faithful to his people back then, and he's faithful to his people now. If they had hope, we can have hope, right? One verse of Scripture to just marry to that one. It's a very similar, but remember when I told you when we read our opening text, remember where this is at, Romans, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians 10. Now in 1 Corinthians 10, five verses earlier, I want you to catch this. Now, all of these things happened unto them. If you would have started in verse 1 of chapter 10, Paul begins to talk about the children of Israel and their ups and their downs, their failures in the wilderness and God dealing with them. And so he said, now all of these things happened unto them, ancient Israel, for what? Read it. For examples. And they are written for what? For our admonition. For our warning, for exhortation, for our instruction, for our learning, upon whom the ends of the world are come. So God moves the Moses, the man of God, the patriarch of faith, to record these words so that you and I, seated here today, that in our private devotion, before church, after church, or even as you hear me preach today, that you, through learning and then pondering, and you can gather the things that were written, and somehow it's not just historical data, it's a living word. Right? It's not just historical data, information about a far gone people of days gone by, but it is a living word that God will still work in the lives of his, of his people if we will trust him. Right? So let me tell you what it is. It is a, there is a divine revelation. Here's what I want to bring you to something very purposeful today. I see a divine revelation and a divine correlation between Passover and Jesus' crucifixion. I do. The correlation, just very briefly. Jesus enters the city as a lamb four days prior, five days prior to Passover, as that lamb was chosen four days in advance. And Jesus was examined and scrutinized more closely the week before his betrayal and death on the night of Passover and the day after Passover, his actual death, betrayal, and then death. He was scrutinized more closely that week than in any other time in all of his ministry, culminating with some of the very last words of Pontius Pilate when Pontius Pilate examined him and said, I find no fault in him. Fulfilling what that Passover lamb was, it was a lamb without blemish and without fault. There's a correlation. Jesus is crucified on Passover, or he was betrayed on Passover that following day. The Lamb of God, John the, uh, John the baptizer, had identified Jesus as the Lamb of God. The Lamb perished and a meal was given to memorialize the moment. Jesus memorialized his death through a meal that we're going to look at here in just a moment. So there's so much there. I don't care who you are. There's simply no separate. There is a divine correlation between Passover and the death of Jesus. And if you say, Pastor, I need further uh, uh, support for that statement, let me give you two verses of Scripture. And I don't have a lot more, but I've got to get you there because we're going to go out with a flurry. 1 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse number 7 says this. As Paul once again is writing, he says, purge out the old leaven. Remember what they were to do with leaven? Right, He said that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened. For even, I'm not, I didn't make it up, I want you, Christ, 
Our Passover is sacrificed for us. But let's read the eighth verse. I think it's just as important. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Right? And so with this, Christ, our Passover, sacrificed for us. There is a divine correlation and a divine revelation. We have both. We have two people in bondage. We have the people of ancient Israel. They're in bondage to the taskmasters of Egypt. We have the people of our generation. We are in bondage to sin. Right? We have a substitutionary death. The lamb was slain and the blood was applied to the doorpost, but the blood's applied to the doorpost of our heart. Right, So the people were delivered from Egyptian taskmasters, and you and I have been in, uh, delivered from the bondage of sin. Right, The destroyer was unable to destroy those who were under the blood. And I don't know about you, but God will bruise the head of the serpent under my feet shortly now because of the power of the blood of Jesus. So there's a divine correlation and a divine revelation. And then there was a meal given, as Moses said, not only are you going to eat this meal, but you're going to eat this meal annually from the day that you enter into the promised land because Moses said, this is going to so radically transform who you are as a people. I want you to look back at it and say, that's the beginning. That's when everything changed. That's when the chains fell. That's when we went from being a people under bondage to a people set free by the glory of God. And Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, let's read it real quickly. Luke gives us seven verses that I want you to read with me. And that will be, I believe, the last text. Because I promised you I wouldn't preach as long, but I'm not finished yet. So stay with me. Luke chapter 22. Matthew shares it. Mark shares it. But Luke captures it. And the hour was come. We have Passover. It's written for our learning. We're putting it in its proper place. We're holding it here. But we're seeing that that night, the events of that night, was in essence a foreshadowing of a greater Passover that was yet to come. And it unfolded, (laughs) not strangely, maybe strangely to some, but it unfolded in divine, God's divine order on Passover. Jesus was a Hebrew. He had kept the meal. Read this with us here, commencing in verse number 14. And when the hour was come, he sat down, and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Don't y'all think about that. The heavy, Jesus has just taken of the meal. He's participating in the meal with his disciples that commemorates and memorializes that fateful night, knowing of the events of the later hours of that same night and the events of the morrow. And he said, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover For I say unto you, I will not eat any more until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He took the cup, he gave thanks, he said, take and divide it among you. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. He took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave unto them and he said, this is my body. Remember the body of the lamb that was consumed by the people. He said, this is my body. It is given for you. This do. As Israel memorialized and commemorated the Passover, you do this in remembrance of me. Let's go a little bit farther. Likewise, also the cup after supper. And he said, this cup 
is the New Testament. And where is it? Where is this New Testament found? It's found in my blood, he said. It's found in my blood, and as often as you do it, it, do it in remembrance of me, for it is shed for you. And so, church family, to begin to fold this thing together, like the blood of the innocent lamb, Jesus' blood was shed for us, and it is applied to the doorway of our heart. And so it was a divine correlation, Passover, redemption from Egyptian bondage and slavery, Jesus' death, redemption from sin. Jesus initiates and gives instruction, but Paul gives additional instruction about Passover. And we're very familiar with it. Again, it's in 1 Corinthians 11 because generations of Christians from that night until now, until he comes, is going to continue taking of a meal that remembers for us the night when everything changed. When everything changed, the night of Jesus' death and our subsequent deliverance from sin. But I want you to hear something. This has got down in my heart. Paul's giving instruction in 1 Corinthians 11 about Passover, excuse me, about communion. I've read from it countless times. I've quoted this verse countless times. But as I close today, here's what's on my heart. It's the 26th verse. It says, as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Okay? Pause for just a moment. Who do we show it to? That's fair. I mean, to the world. When we take that bread and Take that cup. We're showing the world that Jesus died for them. That's what we're doing. Have you believed also that when you take it and you wait for one another, we show it to each other? But on my heart today, in context to Passover, because I believe they are divinely interwoven, let me tell you who you show it to. You show it to your children. Did y'all hear me today? You show it to your children. That when your children, small or maybe teenagers, when they say, why do we do this? Why, why do we take this little cracker? Why do we take this cup? What does it mean? What are you going to say when your children ask you? I want you to know today that my children are grown and mostly gone. Alyssa is here because of a uniquely placed birthday meal yesterday. And she's here today. But here's what I want my children to know. Because I want them to tell their children. That's what I want them to know. So Alyssa... I want you to know today that I was in bondage to sin. I was born a sinner, and then I sinned, and I came short of the glory of God. And I tried to break its power off of me, and I could not. I was subject to it. And I knew, I sensed in my heart that I could not prevent the impending judgment of God. But Alyssa, I want you to know this. 
while I was yet a sinner, God commended his love for me. And Jesus died for me. I want to tell you about that night. I want to tell you the night that he was betrayed. When the shepherd was smitten and the sheep were scattered. I want to tell you about that night when he was beaten and bruised. He was spat upon and mocked. (laughs) And his hair was plucked from his beard. Isaiah had said his visage would be so brutally beaten until he was marred above recognition. I want to tell you about a crown of thorns that they platted upon his brow and drove deep into his forehead. Then they nailed iron spikes to his hands and his feet. And the different writers describe it differently. One calls it a mountain called Golgotha. Another calls it Calvary. In the original language, it means a skull. is a place of death. It was outside the walled city of Jerusalem where common criminals and murderers were hung. It was there that Jesus died. And he took my place. I would want you to know and your five brothers and sisters that that wicked sinner that was eight years old when I put my faith in Jesus Christ and in his atoning blood and his death on the cross a miracle happened. A miracle happened. Sin's power over me was broken. And I know I wasn't the most wicked of sinners, I suppose, at eight years of age. But I'm preaching to some folks today on the sound of my voice that were former crystal meth addicts. That have committed difficult crimes, adulterers and fornication. And at the same testimony, they carried the same testimony as I. They put their faith in Jesus' atoning blood and sin's power and dominion over them was broken. And I want you to know that today. Like Israel of old, I was set free and delivered by the glory of God. From that day forward, I learned to put away leaven. Listen, I want you to know that. I want you to know that I learned to put it away because leaven represents sin. And sin does not have dominion over me any longer. Sin's power was broken because of his victory at the cross. And now I can eat. I can eat this meal in sincerity and in truth. I don't want to eat or drink it unworthily, so I examine myself. And I ask myself, am I really in the faith? For whatsoever is now to faith is sin. If I eat it, I don't want to eat it out of obligation And I don't want to eat it with uh, unconfessed sin in my life. So I want to confess that sin unto God so that I can eat the bread in sincerity and take the cup in truth. And I want you to know this. And some disagree with this. But I want you to know. And I want my other children to know. Because I already texted them and I want them to watch this sermon today. Some disagree with this. But I'll tell you what. I plead the blood. I do. I plead the blood of Jesus. I plead the fullness of his redemptive work and his divine purpose. And I want you to know that I rebuke the enemy in the name of Jesus through the strength of the blood of Christ spilled on the cross of Calvary. And I would want my children, I don't know, I don't have young children here today. Many of you do, and some of them are coming in here in just a few minutes. But I would want my children to know that he didn't just die for me, but he died for you as well. And I want you to take the gift that God's given you called the gift of faith. And I want you to put your faith 
in the blood of Jesus Christ. You cannot save yourself. You cannot redeem yourself. You simply must trust in his redemptive work. And lastly, if my children were near, here's what I would do. If they were small and they were around me, I get to borrow her today. I didn't tell her sometimes, again, you get forgiveness instead of permission. I have to stand here because my children grew tall. And I would hold them. And here's what I would do. I don't know about you. I'm just telling you. It's my job as a pastor to train you. This is what I would do to Anthony and to Austin and to Aaron. And this is what I would do to Ashley and to Amber and Alyssa. And I would say, Father God, in the name of Jesus, I'm so grateful for a faithful day. A day in which your son died on that tree. I'm so thankful today, God, for that blood. I'm so thankful that everything changed. That every curse had to be broken, God. That the enemy's power was broken off of our family, God, because of that day, Lord. I'm so thankful today, God, that you've received us into your family because of that blood. I'm so thankful today, God, that you brought us out and that you might bring us in, God. I'm so thankful today, God, that over my sons and daughters, God, that when they have sinned against you as their father, God, I plead the blood, Father, in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, that you will forgive them by virtue of the blood. And I want to announce to the enemy today that you can't have my children in the name of Jesus. God, today, I plead the atoning blood of Jesus Christ as the blood of the Pascal Lamb would, would, would cause the destroyer to have to pass over the homes of the children of Israel. The enemy cannot have my children in the name of Jesus because I plead the atoning blood of Jesus Christ over their lives, God. I pray, Father, that you don't take them out of the world, but I pray that you keep them. I pray, oh God, that you keep them. Come on, somebody, that you keep them. Because of the power of the blood of Jesus. Of the blood of Jesus. Of the blood of Jesus. And I don't know what you'll do. I don't know how you parents will do it, but that's what I would do. That's how I would look at it. I wouldn't want it to just be a cracker and a cup of juice. I would want it to be an expression of the faith that's in my heart that said, God, bless me and my household. The blood didn't just save the head of the household. It saved all that were in the house. I'm ready for the children, I suppose, Chelsea. I guess they can start making their way back in here today. That's what I would do. I don't know what you'll do. Joe, do you mind joining me today? The worship team's going to come back in a little while. Just a little while. Church family, I purposely paused where I was at from last week to extend this thought about the power of the blood of Jesus. An old song years ago said it reaches all the way back and it reaches all the way ahead. What will you do today? Will you keep this feast? Surely it's not just tradition to you. Surely it's not just a, a means to quick in, to hasten out of a church service. My question for you, is Christ your Passover today? That's a good question, isn't it? 
Not a good question, Joe. Is he your Passover? Is he your Passover? He's my Passover today. Is he yours? I have a question for you. Will you put away sin like leaven and then keep the feast of sincerity and truth? You know, we, I'll get ahead while we're waiting on the children. In a few moments, when we bring you the emblems, don't eat them. Don't take the cup until we all take it together, if possible. I know you'll have children. Whether your children take communion, that's up to you. They're your children, not mine. But with this, judge your heart. Judge your heart today. That's why Paul said, let a man examine himself whether or not he's in the faith. He said, Pastor, there's sin in my life. There's no greater moment than right now than to confess it. Amen? There's no greater moment. Our heads bowed for just a moment. Kids will be coming in. Who will pray, God, forgive me of my sin today? Who will? Who will say, Lord, in virtue of the blood, the blood of Jesus, forgive me of my sin today, God? Today, Lord, wash me clean. Some under the sound of my voice today, things haven't been just right. You need to confess it today. Don't eat it unworthily. I'm not trying to condemn you in any manner, but I am trying to warn you. Paul said if we eat it unworthily, the judgment can come upon us. We judge ourselves, Paul writes, that we be not judged. Will you take a moment before these beautiful children begin to make their way into the sanctuary to judge your heart today? Whether you decide to take and receive communion, that's between you and God. This is not an open communion service. This is not, uh, I mean, it's an open communion service. It's not closed. To, it's not just to the people of our assembly. You can be a visitor among us. The key is, are you born again? Do you have the life of God? You have faith because God gave to every man a measure of faith. Have you trusted in Christ? Trusted in Christ. That's my exhortation to you. Put your faith in Christ today. Maybe you can see in the theater of your mind the children of Israel huddled in their home, incapable of stopping the judgment of God, but trusting in the blood, trusting in the blood. Is that you today? I hope so. I hope so today. Aren't you thankful for Jesus today, church family? I know it's going to be a little bit lengthier as these children make their way here in just a moment. But this is a special moment for parents to have their children with them on this Sunday morning today. To have them in service with us today. going to have to remain in an attitude of worship for just a moment. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to get the deacons, some of the deacons that are going to help us. Walt is in the back, back there. Somebody tap on that glass and tell Walt to, he can go ahead and begin to come forward. And those that have been asked, I think, or some of the deacons that are here, I know I at least need four guys from our board. We can go ahead and start passing these emblems to them and have them staged. They're going to, get, again, do something just a little bit different today. In Jesus' name, they're going to, uh, they're going to begin to 
bring it to you. I was hoping to time it when the kids got in here and do it just after the kids today. But if not, I don't want to delay it too long. After we receive these emblems. So we have a special song we want to sing here tonight at the end of this. I wasn't there long years ago in Egypt, the good land of Goshen, but I'm grateful for what it revealed. I'm grateful for their deliverance, but I said last week. The tragedy was that the, the Egyptian could not be saved. But now, a new covenant with a better sacrifice, the Egyptian can be saved. Amen? Jesus said, I long to share this with you. Children, thank you so much for coming in here. Your mom, dad, your grandparent, they'll, they'll do their very best to explain to you why we're doing this. What an honor we have, church family, to show his death till he come. We show the world. We show each other. I want you to be reminded of it, right? I want you to feel the power of the death of Jesus. Paul said, I determined not to know anything among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Amen? And I know resurrection all of that, it's a part of it. But sometimes you have to just pause and look very intently at his sacrificial death. And that's what we're doing tonight or today. I've given you time to search your heart. If you have bread and you have a cup, you're saying to me that you've examined yourself so that you can eat. Here's how you're to eat this today. You're to eat it like ancient Israel of old. Not in haste, in faith. Did y'all hear that? In faith. In faith, believing. Not only are you memorializing, not only are you commemorating, but you are actively declaring the virtue of his death in the redemption of your sins and the deliverance of your life. So today... I read the words that I've read many times over the last 27 years. For I received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. That the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Got this bread. Don't eat it. Wait for just a minute. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it. Let's pause right now. And let's give thanks for this little piece of unleavened bread that represents the broken body of Jesus on the cross. Father, today, amongst my church family, I remember what Jesus said. I've longed to eat this meal with you. We long to share this meal with each other, with our children, our teenagers and young children that are, some are seated at the feet of these parents here today, to show them the death of Jesus Christ, to show them that his body was beaten and broken on the tree, that his body was symbolic of the lamb. Excuse me, the lamb was symbolic of his body. And today we remember him as the Lamb of God. We remember his body beaten and bruised for us. We remember 39 stripes upon his back. Till the writer said, by whose stripes ye were healed. And when we eat this bread today, we are so grateful for Jesus' broken body. And we're thankful for it today. In Jesus' name. Church family, take and eat. He said, this is my body. It was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the same manner. So would you take that cup? The cup, remember the sermon title, the word of faith, the blood. Children, that's what this represents, the blood. The blood of Jesus. His life, his death, he gave it for us. It represents a new covenant. It represents our deliverance. It represents our protection. Come on, somebody. Our fellowship and communion with God, Paul said, the communion, this fellowship that we bless, he said, we bless it. It's the blood of Christ. Would you pray with me and let's give God thanks today for this cup today. Father, today, I'm so grateful to hold in my hand just a symbolic emblem that represents the blood of Jesus Christ. God, I'm grateful today, Father. That it may be grape juice, but to me it's far more. Father, it is the writing in Leviticus, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. It represents, Father, so much of the words of Scripture concerning the blood. We're redeemed by His blood, sanctified by His blood, delivered from bondage by His blood. On and on, the writers describe to us the virtue and the power of this blood. So Peter summarizes and said, We were not delivered from vain traditions by silver and gold, but by the precious blood of the Lamb of God. And I'm thankful today, and I share it openly amongst my church family. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses me 
from all sin. In Jesus' name, and all God's children said, amen and amen. Let's take this cup together. He said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. The blood. Come on, somebody. It's the blood. I heard the writer say it speaks a better word. I'm going to ask the worship team if they would make their way. I know you've got to be burdened with that troublesome cup. It seems like Christians just get so agitated they can't wait to get rid of that cup. And somewhere, tuck it away in a pocket or purse because we're going to pray. We're not through. This service is not concluded. We're about to sing a song in a moment of time that I hope becomes a spark that aligns with the with the word that you just heard a moment ago because I want to ask you to stand up with me here today if you can as we enter into the worship of the Lord in one final song today. It is a song of declaration. It's a song that I hope that every father and mother, every parent and grandparent here under the sound of my voice, every husband and wife, every single person among us today, for their house and their household, for generations to come, will declare these words in faith. I hope that without me even having to ask you to do so, I hope there's fathers and mothers that if there's children or big enough to stand near them, that they're able to draw them close and you're able to speak the life-changing power of the faith of the blood of Jesus over your children today. Come on, somebody. Amen. As often as, you're, as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me, he said. He said, you show the Lord's death till he come. We show the world, we show each other, but we show our households. And the writer Moses said concerning Passover, he said, when you come into the land and your children say, what mean you by this service that you point back to the day everything changed? And I hope that you do that in faith today. I'm going to stand down amongst my wife and daughter for a few moments just like you. And we're going to worship the Lord and the power and the virtue of the blood of Jesus And then I'll conclude in just a moment of time in prayer. But I want to ask you, you cannot walk out of this room without joining your faith to mine. And let's speak the power of the blood. I want us to close in prayer. Many of you have already prayed for your family, prophesied it in song. But there's one thing I just have to do. That is, sometimes there's those that are single among us. Or they don't have a spouse or they don't have a, a father or mother alive or children living in home. And they feel isolated and alone. You remember the beauty of that one part of the story? He said, if... If your household seems to be too small, you join with another household. So I just want us to close in prayer, and I want us to remember those among us that that's in their season of life. They're not alone. This is our house. This is our house. You're a part of it. You can call me dad if you want to. I'll be that for you today. Father of heaven, I'm so grateful for my church family today. I'm so thankful for everyone. I'm so thankful for their love and their devotion and affection for each other. Whether they're a large family or a single grandmother who walks in with a walker. They're in this house and together we plead the blood.
Together we trust in the blood. It's our defense. It's our deliverance. I pray for them, God, like I do my own children today. I speak the life-changing power of the blood of Jesus over them. Over all that are a part of our house. This house. Father, will you keep them? Will you bless them? Will you make your face to shine upon them, O oh God? And will you give them peace? We're so thankful today for this opportunity that we've had to remember not just Passover, but to remember Calvary and the Savior who bled and died. Thankful in our hearts for this opportunity. In Jesus' name. And all God's children said amen and amen. Listen, church family, you got to love one another. Love one another. As you're dismissed, your children, some of your children are with you in here. If you have smaller ones, we love them, but we want you to take them with you. Don't forget to pick them up.